How do religious claims over urban territory influence the dynamics of conflict? Is settler colonialism in Jerusalem any different from that in the Jordan Valley or French Algeria? Welcome to Connections, the Arab Studies Institute's interview program on current events, policy questions, and new ideas. I'm Moin Rabbani, and for today's episode on the politics of holy cities, we're delighted to be speaking with Mick Dumper and Maha Saman. Mick Dumper is professor of Middle East politics at the University of Exeter in the United Kingdom. The author of several books on Jerusalem, his most recent publication is a wide-ranging Power, Piety, and People, The Politics of Holy Cities in the 21st Century. Maha Saman is an architect, urban planner, and assistant professor at Al-Quds University in Jerusalem. She is the author of Transcolonial Urban Space in Palestine, Politics and Development, as well as various articles on urban politics, colonial space, and everyday life in Jerusalem. Mick Dumper and Maha Saman, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Connections. Mick, if I could start with a question for you. Uh, most of your research has been on Palestine and specifically on Jerusalem. In your latest book, you also went further afield looking at the role of exclusivist religious and ethno-nationalist claims on urban space in, for example, India and Northern Ireland. Why have you termed these places holy cities and what particular characteristics set their conflicts apart from others? Well, the, I call, um, I, I, I've identified a number of cities which um, have a lot of um, holy sites, powerful religious clergy, um, uh, financial uh, revenue flows which are based around religious activities, and then activities in the, in the city itself um, which uh, provide a platform for religious ritual. And not every city has this. You have capital cities, you have port cities, you have mining cities, university cities, um, but cities with a lot of religious associations, I believe, um, bring uh, have a, a new set of pro or a different set of problems, which ne uh, which need to be examined as a result of their religiosity in the city. It doesn't mean that they don't have other problems or issues to do with the uh, urban uh, settlements. Those those are there as well. But it's like a, putting on a different pair of glasses that you sort of see through uh, the, the, the lenses. You, you understand how the religious dynamics uh, often drive some of the conflicts uh, in, in those cities. Um, and uh, Maha, if we look specifically at Jerusalem, um, do these dynamics resonate with you or are there perhaps also um, other and different ones uh, which you feel deserve emphasis? Yeah, thank you for hosting uh, me today, uh, this evening, Moin, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to be with Mick to, today. Um, let me build on what Mick just said. Uh, and if, we, if, if I think about holy cities, the first question that comes to mind is what is a city first before uh, relating it to other definitions like uh, what, men, what Mick mentioned, port cities or uh, university cities. The definition, there is no consensus about a definition of a city. 
And if we combine it with other terms, then it becomes more uh, complicated. So uh, if we think about what a city is and going back to the 1930s, uh, for example, uh, works like uh, works of Louis Mumford or Louis Wirth, for example, they criticize previous definitions of a city and try to, to come up with new ideas incorporating social aspects. Now, more, more scholars came out with new definitions later on and criticized the previous ones. Now, um, for me, I think one of the uh, scholars who are important and give important contribution to the definition of cities is Spiro Kostov. In his book, uh, The City Shaped, He's an urban and ar uh, architectural historian who had a long-term broad work on cities. And he came out with nine characteristics of cities. None of them is related to religion or, or holiness, but, and I'm not going to go into the nine characteristics, but for example, I would give one or two examples. Uh, for example, uh, one aspect is the uh, energized crowding, meaning that he focused on ideas of density rather than, um, size or number of population. Or, for example, he, he talked about circumscription, which was previously walls surrounding a city, but later became a kind of official boundaries. Now, in relation to Jerusalem, the, the from the nine characteristics that I think are important are two aspects. One is uh, related to the monumental framework, and the other is related to urban resources. And by monumental frameworks, obviously, when we look at the city of Jerusalem, the religious sites, whether it is for Jews, Muslims, or for Christians, also contribute from an architectural point of view to monuments. Because monuments are important in, in cities, according to, to Spiro Kostov, uh, uh, these nine characteristics are important to identify city as city. And when we look at these uh, religious sites, uh, if they if they do not if, if a city does not have such monuments then it it goes on to to uh, to what we call placelessness meaning that there is no kind of identity that differentiate between one city and another now coming back to jerusalem and with the idea of from a, an architectural point of view uh, for example uh, the the haram al-sharif and the dome of the rock with the golden dome dominating the skyline of the city it's very important not all not only architecturally but also how it has uh, built a relationship with the people living in it meaning if you ask a child to draw a drawing about Jerusalem he would uh, he or she would quickly draw the dome of the rock or you would find it on uh, uh, book covers or even the the 20 dinars uh, 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 bill of uh, yeah. uh, Jordanian money so uh, this is one thing. The other thing is the urban re resource. And by urban resource, I would think that this is related to the faith, uh, meaning that the, the, the religious faith is important as a resource because uh, while the importance of uh, uh, Jerusalem as, uh, or the holy sites as uh, monuments for the local people, when we talk about it as an urban resource, we talk about faith, which is not only important in, in the local scale, but also on a regional and international scale. Meaning that if something happens within 
these um, uh, holy sites, they would affect or have consequences regionally and internationally. And uh, coming back to the issue of holy, holy cities, I think it's important and very useful to think about other cases and try to unpack different elements and uh, that would help identify things in Jerusalem. But I still think that maybe Jerusalem happened has some of uh, some kind of uniqueness that makes it very challenging to compare it or put it within a comparative uh, 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 framework. Thank you. But um, let, let's take that a bit further. Um, and perhaps to repeat um, uh, the question I, I posed to, to introduce this episode, which is if, if we look at Jerusalem and compare it to the Jordan Valley or, or French Algeria. Um, uh, what, what sets it apart? Uh, Maha, you're, in, uh, you're speaking to us from Jerusalem and you've done extensive uh, research in, in Palestine. So what, what are the dynamics specific to Jerusalem that we, for example, would not observe elsewhere in, in the occupied territories and that have to do with this broader theme that Mick addresses in, in his book about uh, holy cities, um, if, if you do see any. Yeah, well, well, as I, as I said, I think that the significance of the holiness uh, about Jerusalem is that it has significance on a regional and international level rather than mm. only a local level. Uh, but when looking on other cases, they may not have this kind of significance because it, for Muslims, for example, who comprise around 25% of the world population, or for the Holy Sepulchre, which uh, which is important also for Christians who comprise around 33% uh, of the globe population. So uh, th this importance goes beyond the, the local aspects. Now, other another aspect which is uh, different than other cases is that we are talking now about a case which is ongoing in real time, while other cases are now in a situation which are post-colonial or ne neo-colonial. So if we we want to kind of extract uh, lessons learned, we, we have to look, uh, identify abstract uh, theories or methodologies on how to, to try to uh, benefit from previous cases and reflect them on an ongoing case. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Mick, uh, do, do you see it the same way? Well, I think uh, Maha made a very good point when she emphasized the international aspects that uh, makes religious uh, cities or holy cities um, have an impact beyond their immediate uh, frontiers or their immediate borders. And Jerusalem's clearly, you know, is uh, very central to a lot of the discussions in, in um, about the future of the region and the balance of power between the different actors in the region. Um, but I, I would also say that beyond that, there, there are specific activities associated with the religiosity in the city which do uh, create problems which will make it different from the Jordan Valley or from certain parts of French, French Algeria and you know simply land ownership much of the property is uh, owned by religious foundations and so you immediately get kind of um, an, an inherent segregation in terms of resi residency um, people not driven into, get, into ghettos or into enclaves, but because of the land ownership between, um, and the way that the, the land is controlled by um, 
uh, different religious groups which may have the backing of the state or not the backing of the state. And in, and in Jerusalem, clearly the Jewish community would have the backing of the state. Um, this sets up a, uh, a kind of religious prism to the, the, the territorial divisions within the city. Um, another issue would be that some religious sites are not in the heart of the communities where they're situated. They're adjacent to or perhaps even in um, a, a community within the territorial area of another community. And so uh, visitations, processions, um, public displays of uh, devotion impinge on the life of, the, of another community. And this can cause tensions if it's on the uh, if it's uh, if there's congestion or if there's um, uh, it, it falls on on a day that might be holy to the other community. There's misunderstandings about it. There's a uh, pressure to and um, to sort of uh, enhance or or um, strengthen that uh, access to the, these religious sites, which then cause even more more tension. So there's. All the you know the the, the practical um, living arrangements are quite unique to religious cities with religious associations. You wouldn't get that the same, say, in, in Boston in the United States as you would in Jerusalem. You wouldn't get that kind of same tension. Yeah, yet, yet you included Belfast in in your case studies, uh, in, and I was curious, given given what both. You and Maha have have said about uh, you know religious monuments and land ownership and so on. How that, for example, um, uh, fits in with the other cases you've looked at? Actually, uh, Maureen, I have to correct you there. I consider Belfast and discuss it, but I don't actually make it uh, uh, one of my case studies. Okay, um, corrected. It, it, yeah. I, I, but I, I use this as an example of how religion plays a very major role. But it doesn't have um, a, a central position in either Catholicism or in Protestantism that makes it uh, a, a city that has um, reverberations or, or uh, meaning much beyond Belfast or, or Northern Ireland. Those religious tensions, you know, if there's tensions in Belfast, people from Indonesia or from Buenos Aires are not particularly bothered about it. But if there's tensions in Jerusalem, people from different parts of the world are very bothered about it. And I think that's the reason I, I, I dropped Belfast, but I did consider it as a, as a possibility. Right. Okay. Thanks for that. And um, turning to Maha now, in, in your own research, you've often returned to the themes of time and space and the interaction uh, between them. Could you elaborate a bit on, on, on these concepts and, and specifically how, in your view, they apply to Jerusalem? Yes. Well, I, I will build on uh, what Mick was talking about and uh, your previous question as well. Um, I see the, the Zionist case as an advanced um, uh, settler colonial case. So uh, when I started working on how to understand the conflict uh, or where to situate the, con uh, the conflict, I went uh, and I looked at literature related to previous colonial cases. So uh, in, in, look at, in, in looking at these, um, at these cases, for example, uh, 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 French Algiers or British Sri Lanka and many other cases, uh, 
as I said at the beginning, that they are uh, previous cases, meaning that uh, the literature is written on them on, at a time when the uh, colony is already done. And now it's with the Zionist case, it's, it is an ongoing situation. So in order to identify a, a kind of um, a framework uh, to work and understand these previous cases and to relate them to an existing situation, I had to go to something abstract. And therefore I used the concept of space and uh, specifically I depended on uh, the work of Henry Lefebvre on the production of uh, space. And in his book, uh, The Production of Space, he identifies three aspects of space, which are perceived space, conceived space and lived space. And I tried to uh, reflect these on the production of colonial space, meaning I tried to look at the previous cases and the case, the Zionist case, and came out with some variables which are important to understand uh, the Zionist case in specific. For example, uh, my own interpretation of the perceived space is related more to uh, philosophical ideas, uh, policy-oriented uh, policy ideas, and they are the space of the policymakers. Um, policymakers, yes. Uh, when looking at the conceived space, it's more about how the geography is altered, how it is changed. So it is more about the planners, the professionals uh, who work on this level of space, and therefore the impact of this uh, would affect uh, the, the actual... Uh, 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 space on ground. So, and the other, the third part is the lived space, which is related to the local people, the the people who are living on ground, the the usual people. So, uh, and in in the analysis, I tried to extract from the non-temporal uh, to and uh, uh, and the temporal aspect to try to identify some variables, and these variables related to these perceived conceived spaces are, for example, uh, the perceived space, we're talking about power, knowledge, uh, technology, and under the conceived space, we're talking about strategic planning, uh, spatial planning, and under the lived space, we talk about things that uh, affect the, the daily life of the people, such as uh, demography, uh, economical aspects, uh, culture, sorry, cultural aspects. So. Um, this framework uh, of um, of uh, providing these variable helped me to identify a methodology to understand uh, different colonial cases and helped me to to uh, 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 to analyze the Zionist case in detail. So, meaning that uh, if we uh, we try to analyze the, the the colonizer and the colonized, one would end up. Uh, having different ideas on what are the strength, uh, the strength and the weaknesses of each party. And then if we want to build a kind of policy and strategy for Palestinians on how to reconfigure the modes of power, uh, one has to work on many different levels. And here I suggest the, the concept of transcolonialism, which transcends the time and the space, meaning it could be worked on in different spaces and it could uh, work uh, whether you are under still under colonialism or in a neo-colonial stage or in a post-colonial stage. Thank you. Um, and and picking slightly off of of, of uh, the points you've just made, and if I could turn to Mick, um, you know when people uh, discuss these issues, and I think both both you and and Maha have done this in in your own writings. When, when talking about Jerusalem, we tend very much to focus on Israel and the Palestinians. Um, 
um, Israel's colonial encroachment and the dispossession of the Palestinians. And, and when religion comes into this, people tend to think of um, uh, Israeli Jews and Palestinian Muslims as kind of the two um, uh, main competing groups. Yet I think what makes Jerusalem unique is the extent to which it's been affected by a religious group that doesn't even reside in this city. And here I'm thinking specifically of, of American evangelicals and the impact that, that they have had on the way um, uh, that things have developed in Jerusalem. And we saw this, I think, very clearly, for example, during, um, uh, during the Trump years. And I was curious, um, uh, Mick, if, if in the other case studies that you discuss in your book, um, kind of uh, non-resident groups also had had a uh, significant impact on on developments in, in in particular cities, the way the way they seem to have in Jerusalem. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, uh, Maureen. The um, the the international aspect of Jerusalem uh, is partly illustrated by the the role of um, uh, American evan evangelicals and the, and the and the influence that they have on on u.s policy um there there is I, I, in the examples i examined there is much less of that international diaspora or uh, you know satellite communities having an influence um my examples included um cordoba in southern spain and uh, benares in uh, in india and uh, lhasa in tibet and then uh Georgetown in Malaysia and in all of those um, there are diasporic connections who are, which are quite powerful but they don't um, have an impact on the policy of great powers and their their influence in in the um, uh, uh, decisions about the future of, of a particular city so in Benares, for example, one third of the population is, is Muslim and two thirds is, is, um, is Hindu. And the Hindu nationalists are um, uh, in the are taking a very um, aggressive view of um, the, the properties that belong to the, the Muslim community and trying to rehabilitate them or um, what they regard is to re restore them back to the, their original Hindu um, uh, owners. And this is um, being uh, fed uh, and supported by the national government. And there is a little bit of a sort of uh, support for the Muslim community from um, Pakistan, and from the the Gulf states and some of the Salafi groups, but it's not particularly strong because Benares, for the Muslim community, isn't that iconic city. It may be iconic for the Hindus, but Benares doesn't have these these great uh, um, you know Muslim universities or seminaries or uh, a big a big tradition of uh, you know cl clergy power. Um, it's not a great centre for international Muslim uh, 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 pilgrimage. So that international element is not there. Well, you can easily contrast that with Jerusalem, where you know the Christian calendar sucks in Christian support from all around the world, not and not just the evangelicals, but also the the Roman Catholic uh, 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 world as well. So. 
it, 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 I, I, Jerusalem is unique in this this respect. Um, mm -hmm. There are other cities that may have uh, aspects of this internationalization, but not to the degree that Jerusalem has, by no means. And if I could bring another example uh, from your recent book, Georgetown in Malaysia, which I think, if, if I understood you correctly, it's kind of given as a case study where um, uh, sectarian differences or, or religious uh, differences, or however you want to turn them, um, don't necessarily translate into um, uh, political uh, conflict. And that therefore, perhaps we should revisit this automatic assumption that religious difference um, uh, necessarily produces uh, political conflict. Well, it was exactly why I was attracted to examine uh, Georgetown, because it, it was a puzzle to me that it had, you know, at least 22 different religious groupings. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a, some festival every week uh, with roads being shut and, uh, um, you know, changes to the, ca the calendar of, of, the, of the city. And I couldn't understand why with so many potential points of friction uh, with, you know, uh, religious, religious sites very close to each other and, and all these um, different activities around the religious sites taking place. I, I couldn't understand why there wouldn't be more, um, more, more, more problems. And it, it goes back to a point I make. Again, many of these sites are probably peripheral to the, the, the main religions. They're not unimportant to the people living there. They're very important. But to the wider community, they're not central. So mm. you know, Georgetown is an important place for um, pilgrims going you to mean, Mecca. So you mean those who don't live there? Pardon? You mean unim not important to adherents to of a particular religion who don't reside yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, um, George, Georgetown has um, one of the largest uh, sleeping Buddha um, statues uh, in the Southeast Asia, so it's quite important, but it it doesn't um, it doesn't uh, uh, compete with other Buddhist sites in, in in India or in Thailand. It's just not of the same uh, centrality to the religious faith. So I think that's quite important. The, the, it's, they're fairly peripheral sites, and the clergy are fairly new. The the city's about 150 years old. It hasn't got those deep roots. But the very other, another very important point is that while uh, Georgetown is in um, a Malaysian uh, federal system and the federal system privileges Muslim Malay uh, faith over all the other faiths, and so there is a, a there's Islamic push in the constitution which uh, can disc be discriminatory, the actual city itself is predominantly Buddhist and predominantly Chinese, and there's a pushback against the national level by the city level. So uh, many of the federal laws which would have applied to, to Georgetown are kind of neutralized by this strong city um, identity. Um, and that's another interesting factor. We have, might have the internationalization of a city, but also strong local identities can also uh, mitigate some of the kind of ethno-nationalist, uh, exclusivist ideologies which are imposed on cities. Right. right. 
Um, uh, Maha, your own work is focused, I think, very much on colonialism um, rather than looking at the impact of, of, of religion on this conflict in any specific way. Um, would it be your argument that um, religion, religion and religious polarization is essentially an at best secondary factor in, in trying to understand um, what has been happening in Jerusalem and in, in Palestine uh, more broadly, and that we should see this um, first and foremost in kind of classic, uh, as, as within a classic settler colonialist uh, paradigm and, and not pay too much attention um, to these other uh, types of differences? Uh, well, um, I think that religion is, is very important in the case of uh, Palestine because um, it is important to distinguish between um, uh, the Judaism as a faith and uh, uh, Zionism use of different interpretation of religion for uh, religious uh, for colonial and settler practices. So in this sense, this becomes integral in how the city is planned and replanned and reproduced in terms of uh, uh, trying to uh, reflect on um, uh, spatial issues re relating them to uh, uh, to uh, texts in the uh, in the holy uh, books so in this sense the the way religion is used comes within the the settler colonial uh, uh, paradigm and uh, that's why um, the way that the city is planned now with all these segregations and the checkpoints and the uh, separation wall is integral in how the religion is used now the impact is yeah, is very much uh, related to to how we look at other settler colonial cases but of course i think that religion is is an integral part on how this has uh, developed mm -hmm. And and perhaps a question for both of you. I mean, what what I find interesting, if if you look at uh, the case of uh, of Jerusalem, is that religious claims are being used perhaps um, less to promote a privileged position for one religious community versus the other, although that's part of it, but is being primarily used as a vehicle to advance and consolidate claims of political sovereignty. Um, and Mick, perhaps if I start with you, um, uh, does that set Jerusalem apart from um, other cases you've examined? Um, in these other cases, is it mainly about one community seeking um, to derive advantages over another, or does the state also play such um, uh, a powerful role in, in, in using um, uh, these uh, religious issues to advance its own agendas of, of exclusive sovereignty and so on? Um, I, I don't think uh, Jerusalem is unique in that. It's just it's much more complicated because of the number of sites and how close they are together and the fact that there's not just, it's not, it's not a binary, it's not a Muslim versus Jewish issue. It's Muslim versus Jewish plus Christian as well. So it, there's there's a third element in there. Um, 
and as we've mentioned, also then the the level of uh, uh, the international um, dimensions mm. to that. In in the other the other cities I I've, I've examined, um, in, for example, in Cordoba, and this that was more of a historical examination. Mm. Although for those of you who are not familiar with it, Cordoba, um, the, the the issue there is there's a, a very um, large mosque, beautiful mosque. Um, that uh, was taken over by the, the um, a, a Christian conquest um, and uh, in the 14th 15th century and then a big cathedral was um, implanted in the middle of the mosque and it's a very bizarre setup but uh, but it you know it, it was and it's been there now for seven several hundred years but it still clearly is a mosque when you visit it and so there's many there's a tendency for uh, tourists to want to pray there, uh, particularly to, to Muslim tourists. Pardon? Yeah, Muslim, Muslim tourists. tourists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, from North Africa, because it, it's yeah. so clearly a mosque, even though there's a cathedral right in the in the middle of it, and this causes lots of tensions, uh, and uh, and so there's there is there is a sense a, now if in Cordoba there'd been a large and vibrant Muslim community. Uh, they would have problems, but as it is, it's a very small and very impoverished uh, Muslim community in in Cordoba. So the, there's no kind of ground swelling support for any um, revival of Muslim prayer in the in this this site. Um, much of that um, is of that that movement is coming from outside, but. Um, uh, and this, but very, there is very similar situation in Benares in uh, in in India, where India. The, the yeah the, the Hindus are wanting to take over a particular mosque which they claim was built on the site of a of a of a Hindu temple, and they're pushing hard for the government to intervene to uh, reverse uh, you know, to reverse the ownership. The, in, in Lhasa, it's actually quite interesting. Rather than a the, the Chinese Communist Party having occupied Lhasa, rather than wanting to replace the Buddhist monuments and the all the, the, uh, the, the and 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 um, introduce you know claim back, they're not uh, claim back a site. They're not attempting to do that at all. They're not trying to claim back a pre-existing. Han Chinese uh, pr property. They are trying to break the power of the Buddhist clergy, um, and and so the control of the site is not to do with um, the Han Chinese having had previous uh, uh, associations claims. with these sites or previous claims. It's entirely to do with a power struggle between uh, the Communist Party and the the Buddhist hierarchy, which still claim the allegiance of 99% uh, of the Tibetan people. Right. right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, Maha, I'd, I'd like to get back again to um, this uh, issue you've raised of the interaction um, between space and time. And perhaps if, if we now um, uh, look forward at what we can expect in the coming period um, in Jerusalem, where you've had, I think, this uh, highly intensified Israeli campaign, for example, with the construction of the wall, with the withdrawal of residency permits, um, and so on. How do you see this 
playing out in the coming years? And what do you think will be uh, the main dynamics um, that influence the development of events? Uh, well, what I see is going on now is uh, more, um, you know, impringing more, um, uh, whether it's um, a colonial uh, spatial um, uh, interventions on space that affect the everyday life of the people, not only in terms of space, but also in, sp in terms of time. So if, if I want to... to um, reflect on the issue of time, uh, I see that even it's it's a kind of colonizing the time of the Palestinians in the sense that uh, everything uh, that is happening uh, takes more time and people become uh, even um, losing their own time every single day. And uh, that's what I wrote about uh, an article named uh, From Moments to Duration, meaning that when when a Palestinian want to move from one place to another, which should take few minutes, it takes sometimes hours, meaning every moment has its own experience and then in, it's enlarged to um, wider experiences that that have ne negative impact on the Palestinians. Because and of that, obstacles and checkpoints and so on. Uh, yes, of, for example, if we look at the Qalandia checkpoint and we want to move from Kufr Aqab, which is an area within the municipal boundaries of Jerusalem, but outside the separation wall and there's the Qalandia checkpoint in between, uh, then um, there's a whole experience of how to move from one place to another that in, 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 a, in a usual uh, Time shouldn't take few minutes, but with the existence of these segregation um, uh, elements of control and domination, then it takes much more time. And within each moment, there is a new experience, negative experience that the Palestinians need to uh, uh, need to um, uh, try to find ways to to overcome them um, in terms of producing ways of. Um, uh, uh, ways of resilience, yes. So um, this is uh, ongoing and it seems to, to even continue uh, in the near future. The more, but I, I would like to say that the more such things are infringed on the Palestinian, the more the Palestinians would look for more ways to, to, to find their way to enter Jerusalem and to find their ways to, uh, uh, to take part in the city as uh, a Palestinian city as well. Because I think, um, if, if, if my statistical memory is correct, the construction of, of the separation wall, in fact, led to a huge influx of Palestinians who had been living um, outside it, back to the city, in order not to lose their, uh, their residency rights in, uh, in Jerusalem. Um, as, as we near um, the conclusion uh, of, of, our, of our discussion, I'd, I'd like to ask Mick if he perhaps has any um, concluding thoughts. Um, I think it's, it's fair to say that in the 21st century, religion has been seen as an increasingly prominent driver of, uh, of conflict. Um, many people would say that's really misinterpreting um, what is driving many of these conflicts. And given that you've looked at this issue on several continents. I was wondering if, if you had any concluding thoughts in this respect. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the main um, findings of my research is that, um, and this goes back to a point that Maha made at the beginning about the different characteristics of a city. And I don't know um, to 
what extent this is shared amongst most urban scholars. But I think one of the key characteristics of a, of a city is, is heterodoxy, it's heterogeneity. It's, um, uh, there's very, it's very unlikely that you've got a monoculture, you know, a, a, a city thrives through interactions of different cultures and different ethnicities and different religions and faiths and employment practices, etc. And um, there's an inherent co contradiction in ethno-nationalist ideologies and their application to cities. Um, if you're trying to impose a, an ideology which privileges one community over, uh, over the others, uh, by excluding them from resources, by uh, suppressing their representation, those other communities will go look for support elsewhere, financial support, political support, mob mobilization, solidarities outside. I mean, that's clearly what happened in Belfast with the support the Catholic community going looking south. It's clearly happening in um, in, uh, in 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 Benares and in, in in Tibet and and in Jerusalem. It's very clear that um, as the uh, Zionist uh, ideologies imposed on the city, Palestinians are gaining support from other sources, and it's like it's almost this the the idea the the imposition of this ideology is creating the resistance to it at the same time. So there's kind of an inherent contradiction, and I call this in my book is the, 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 the paradox of ethno-national nationalist urban governance. There's something inherently, it sets up a, a, a the imposition sets up a, resist, a resistance. And so on one hand, I'm very pessimistic about what's going, what's happening in Jerusalem now and very pessimistic about a, an outcome which would satisfy Palestinian aspirations in terms of the balance of power internationally. I'm quite optimistic in the sense that the religious, the monumental stuff that uh, Maha talked about uh, grounds the Palestinian community so deeply in the city that their exclusion from it is a very uphill task for the Israelis. Uh, and the attempt to impose this Zionist ideology is coming up against quite deep, deep foundations. You know, it's not, they cannot, it's not going to be easy for them to try and achieve this kind of dominance, which, which is uh, what they apparently have been trying to do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'd um, once again like to again thank like uh, to both, thank, of, uh, you, both of you, Mick Dumper and Mahasaman, uh, for this. Uh, very interesting discussion on, on the politics of holy cities. Thank you and uh, goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.